0: Hey, thanks so much for joining us on our channel today. We wanna to encourage you to subscribe and like today's video. Also, today's word is brought to you by our truth partners. These are people who want to financially invest to help us get this message of truth to around the nation and around the world. You can become a truth partner today by simply going to creativechurch.com give. Again, thank you for partnering with us on this message of truth. And thank you for liking and subscribing to today's video. God bless you. Pray this sermon blesses your life.
1: Is it snowing outside? It is. <laughs> Somebody said, are you in Minnesota? <laughs> My first time being here. I love it here. I mean, I, you got to understand, you know, I, I live in a place where it's 78 degrees every day. Don't hate me for that now. Don't hate me. Yeah, it, don't, it don't really don't get real hot. I'm in Northern California. I'm not in So Don't get real hot and don't get real cold. I told somebody you could probably build a house and not put heat or air in it. It's just kind of like the same all the time. And uh, in some ways, I kind of miss a good snow. And uh, so we got on the pavement last night, and it was slick. And I watched my wife almost bust it, and I thought it was funny. I thought it was <laughs> like she's hanging on my arm, you know. I said, hi, ah, we get to play in a little bit of snow here. You are wonderful people. You have wonderful leaders. And I want you to know we've had a great time. I've never had a pastor put me on an itinerary like this. <laughs> I think this is like our 37th service in three days. You know, I'm not sure. I told him, he, he said, and I want revival tonight. I said, okay. I'm like, okay, just put an IV in my arm and run Red Bull right straight in my vein, you know, when we get in here tonight. But um, he, he told me, he said, we've been in the series. Uh, well, first of all, baby doll, you're hiding back there. Stand up and let everybody see you. I got my much better half here. Come on. I'm married up. How many men in here you feel like you married up? You might better raise your hand anyway. (coughs) And uh, we are, as of two weeks ago, empty nesters. I've had a kid in my house for 28 years or more. And so uh, me and my wife uh, have never been known to get drunk. But I almost came home that night and popped a <laughs> bottle of something. I said, we've raised all three of them, and they out of here. Let's have a party, baby. Hallelujah. <laughs> and uh, so we get to travel together, and there was years that that was not the case. And it was, I'm having the best time of my life being able to do what we do and do it all together. And uh, so I'm grateful that she came with me. Pastor told me that you had been in a series. Uh, was it marriage or parenting and marriage? A little bit of both. And uh, the the initial thought was that Hope and I, we're fresh off our marriage conference that we do every year. Ours is kind of in a package. We don't do it on Sunday because it's what we do you can't do in church. It's way too raw for that. And so we move it out in another setting, in a convention center. Have room for about 500 couples every year. And uh, we're fresh off that. So we were going to come in this morning and kind of cap that out. And then yesterday, he took me out to have a meal with me. He said, you know what? He said, I'm feeling something different. He said, I think you just need to take tomorrow morning and prepare for tomorrow night. Tonight, y'all don't know me, but I'm a wild Pentecostal. Okay, where I come from, we toss babies and take off shoes and run laps and throw earrings at each other. I mean, we, we just have church where I come from. And so tonight, you know, I kind of just want to get with a group of radical Christians and turn it loose. I would love for you to come back and be with us tonight. I really would. I've got a message I've been sitting on. It's hot, and I've been waiting to speak it. And I believe God's going to do some incredible things that you're going to remember and take with you the rest of your life. This morning uh, is not really anything that would have an altar call or call for a response. I just have something in my heart that I want to do. I'm probably going to shake mindsets a little bit, but permission to offend. Permission to offend. I'm an equal opportunity offender when I preach. (laughs) I'll hit everybody before, before it's over with. But I want to push the envelope in an area, and here's where I want to go. As I go and I visit churches, I'm confused. I go to one church, and the devil is defeated. I go to another church and we got to fight the devil. I'm confused. Is he, if he's defeated, why am I fighting him? Well, if he's not defeated and I'm fighting him, why did Jesus come? I've even heard it in the same service. The praise and worship leader said, come on, we're going to war against the devil. We're going to push him back right now. Lift up your praise. And then the pastor governor might say, aren't you glad the enemy's defeated? I'm like, what? I don't know. Is he, is he bound or is he loose? Is he defeated or is he not? Am I, am I fighting him or am I not? I hear one person say, you need to fight your battles and fight like a warrior. And then I hear, but wait a minute, the battle's the Lord's. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, do I swing or is God swinging for me? And so the confusion is not out there. That's the confusion in here by churches a lot like the one you're sitting in right now. And there was about, a, a, about a, year to, a year and a half to two years ago, I just went on a journey. I said, you know what, I want to define this. And I said, God, I want you to show me. I, di- I didn't read anybody's book or anything. It's just me, God, and the Word. And I said, I want you to define it because there needs to be clarity on what our position is as a Christian. And I said, I don't even hear it right coming out of the pulpit. And the Bible says a student becomes like their teacher. If it ain't right on the stage, I know it ain't right in the seat. So I said, we need to look at this thing and define it. And I, as a minister, as a teacher, take responsibility that i waited until I was 54 years old to start defining it. But I just see so much confusion. Here's what I see. Not trying to get theological, but I hear what I call a gospel of dualism. There's this, there's this really good God. But yet there's this kind of co-equal bad devil, and they are throwing haymakers all day. They are just going at it all day, and they are slugging it out, and the prize is you. And if you, they, they don't mean it. That's really not what they believe. But if you listen to the preaching, it's like, I got this good guy, and I got this bad guy, and I got to help this good one out. And the fact is, that is a gospel of dualism, and that's not the gospel at all. I want to go ahead and clarify something right out the gate before I even read my scripture. The enemy has been thoroughly and entirely defeated by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. The Bible says that for this reason was the Son of God, this is why God sent him, for this reason was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Colossians 3 says that all of the forces of darkness have been overthrown and that God did it publicly as a spectacle and openly mocked them. So not only has Jesus thoroughly won the victory but made an open spectacle and a mockery of evil for even trying to consider itself a worthy opponent. By the way, I just saw myself spit. I can hit about seven rows deep sometime. <laughs> so if it lands on your shoulder, just leave it there. You might get healed or something. I don't know what will happen.
0: <laughs> hey, I just want to take a moment and let you know that today's sermon is brought to you by our Truth Partners. If you're interested in being a Truth Partner, simply go to creativechurch.com give and select Truth Partners today. Again, please subscribe and like today's video. It's blessing you. It's blessing your family. And hey, let's get back to the word.
1: He's been entirely defeated. So I know what you're saying. You're saying, all right, pastor, I get it. I can roll with that. But evidently, something's going on because it sure seems like he knows my address. Well, if he's defeated, why is my marriage fill in the blank? Was he defeated, why have I lost two jobs in one year? If he's defeated, why are we living hand to mouth? If he's defeated, why is my son on drugs? If he's defeated, you know, because what you're saying, it sounds good in theory, and I know that we're supposed to clap about it while we're in church, but when I go home, this does not seem like it's my reality. Come on, let's be honest about it. Some of you are saying, come on, yeah, that's our reality. And so, I have come to try to clearly define Where is he? And how much power does he have? And how much power does he really have? Are you ready to go through this with me? Let's define it. Come on. We're going to start at Psalm 19. Throw Psalm 19 up there. We're going to start right here. This is David, and this is a prayer that he's making to God. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. I've never even heard of that. What is a presumptuous sin? Let them not have dominion over me. He said this kind of sin... If I allow it to do what it wants to do, it will be my master and it will run my life. Don't let this one have dominion over me. Next verse, please. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Now, we all know David. We know that David was a man after God's own heart, but even the fact that he loved God, he had a real, real dark period. He had a dark period where he saw what he shouldn't have saw, felt what he shouldn't have felt, and did what he shouldn't have done. And then to try to cover up with what he did with Bathsheba, who was not his wife, another man's wife. He took her husband, put him at the front of the battle line to ensure that he would die so he could take another man's wife for his own. And he had this period where it just totally came off the rails. In fact, a prophet had to confront him. And it wasn't until he got confronted that he repented and turned around to that. So most of the time when we think of David's great transgression, we go back to the adultery or the murder or something else, and we put that at the top of our list. That is what, not what David called his great sin. David said, God, I got something I need you to keep me back from because if I give in to it, it will rule my life. And he said, it's presumptuous sins. What does that mean? That I would presume or I would assume something about God that is not true. That I would assume that things are okay that are not. That I would believe a lie and therefore live one. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is the man. Your thinking defines your reality. Keep me back from thinking the wrong thing about you, the wrong thing about people. Keep me from presumption, keep me from assumption, and God, let me walk in the truth. That's why Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If He's the way, you can't get lost. If He's the truth, you can't believe a lie. And if He's the life, you can't die. Come on, somebody. He's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. So David said, the greatest sin that can ever come upon my life is that I walk around assuming I'm all right, but never check the word of God to even see where God stands. I hear people saying things that call themselves Christian, and I'm like, have they ever even opened their Bible? I've heard things in churches where I said, have they even opened their Bible? We tend to be in one of the most biblically illiterate generations ever in my lifetime, and we've got to quit walking around, guys, in ankle-deep water. Come on, somebody. I need to hear a big amen out of that. So he said, keep me back from presumptuous sins. Let me go a little bit further right here. Can I go further? Somebody wave at me and say, keep going, preacher. Keep going. Now, I just got finished with a series. I spent 12 weeks. I spent four weeks per topic called Hidden in Plain Sight where I talked about the fact that we're swinging against things we can't see. We're fighting and we're struggling with stuff and don't even know what it is, don't like what we're doing, but don't find the power to stop. Okay. Look, I preach and it's a dialogue. You got to holler at me a little bit. Yeah, don't give me a prayer by myself. I get nervous if I get by myself. So, even if you have never amen before, this is your moment, this is your day. This is your time. Even if you don't like what I'm saying, throw one out there because you feel sorry for me or something. Just (coughs) give me one every once in a while. Hallelujah. I talked about the three things that we deal with. Number one, I talked about generational curses. Generational curses are what the sociologists and psychologists would call nature. Nature and nurture. Generational sins are bloodline sins. They are bloodline iniquities. They are the sins of the family. They are the sin. Even a doctor knows when you come in with a problem, he starts asking you about your family. Even a doctor knows that. Medical science will start tracing it in your family because he knows things are passed generationally. The Bible says that generational curses move three to four generations deep. That means you can be in this building swinging against something that somebody created in your family that you've never even met. I have a message that I preach, you will, I preach it to me and at some time you will deal with your daddy's devil, okay? My daddy's whole family is a bunch of blumbering drunks. I mean ravaged alcoholic drunks, but I'm not a drunk because my daddy stood between two generations and said, this will not touch my son. This will not touch my daughter. This will be broken in the name of Jesus. And he didn't pass me a curse. He passed me a bless, excuse me. Hallelujah. He passed me a blessing. You see what I'm talking about? Generational curses, bloodline sins. The Bible calls those things iniquity. The word iniquity means bent or twisted. That means that beautiful little baby on the birthing table has never been on the internet, never seen pornography, never been to school, never been influenced by anybody, but that baby is already bent in a certain direction. There's already a wheel turning inside of that child taking it towards certain proclivities already bent in a certain direction. Those have to be broken and they have to have the blood of Jesus applied because contaminated blood can only be cleansed by blood that is incorruptible, hallelujah. And the blood of Jesus is undefiled. So we have those sins. That's why you have to be born again because the first birth got you all twisted. But when you get born again, God will untwist what life twisted up. I'm going to go buy my CD right after this thing's over with Secondly, is something called yokes. Now we're on the nurture side. These aren't bloodline sins. These are what happened to you. They called it a yoke of bondage. In the Bible, the yoke is what they put around the ox's neck because the ox was the only beast mighty enough to till the field. I was raised on a farm. You get here, you hit springtime, this ground is hard. And there has to be heavy machinery to take that earth and turn it over and bring that deep, dark, rich soil to the surface so that it can be prepared for seed. When you see that, I worked on a farm for years. When you see that disc go in the ground to pull that heavy dirt up, you all of a sudden see that blue smoke come out of that smokestack because that is a heavy pull. The ox was the only beast mighty enough to do that. They knew they could not control an ox when he was full grown. He was too strong. So they would take a baby ox and yoke its neck. And as the ox grew, all it knew was the yoke. So its life would take on the pattern of the yoke. So that's why the enemy wants to do something to you early. So you're 48, killing your husband for what happened to you when you were eight. You can't sustain a relationship because what happened to you when you were 12. And that's where the abuse and the molestations and the rape, he wants something to happen early. Why do you think he wants to give our kids gender confusion in elementary school so that they're 50 years old and don't have a clue who they are? Wants to yoke them early so their life takes on the pattern of the yoke. Here again, this is instantaneous deliverance and freedom because the Bible says the anointing destroys the yoke and removes the burden. So the generational curse is broken by the blood of Jesus and the yokes are broken by the anointing of the Holy Ghost. But here is this last area. It's called strongholds. There is no altar call. There is no oil. You can get 1,000 Pastor Jonathan's to lay hands on you, and he cannot break them because they're not instantaneously broken. They're broken over time because strongholds are between your ears. They are presumptions. That's what David said. They are assumptions. They are lies that you believe to be true. There's something I teach called the law of first truth, which means the first things you learned are the hardest to unlearn. Your grandmother, I'm sure she was a great godly woman, but everything she told you was not true. Hope said, my grandmom used to tell me, cleanliness is next to godliness, and that's in the Bible. No, it's not. No, it's not. Racism is not a generational curse. It's not a yoke of bondage. It's between the ears and it's asinine. And it has to be uprooted and it has to be pulled out of your mind. Because you weren't born with it, you were taught it. (laughs) See what I'm talking about? These things happen over time. Poverty mentalities. Don't matter what kind of income you have, you're going to be poor. You're never going to have enough. They can hand you a million dollars and in six months you would be broke. That is a mindset. Those are strongholds. Okay? The Bible defines a stronghold in 2 Corinthians 10 as anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So when I come up here, Pastor Jonathan comes up here, another speaker comes up here, and we take the microphone and we speak a truth to you. There's something in your mind that starts wrestling it. So when I tell a family that's never owned a house and never been out of debt, that God wants to bring you out of debt and he wants to bless you and make you the head and not the tail. He wants to make you above and not beneath. He wants to make you blessed in the city and blessed in the country, blessed coming in, blessed going out. And as soon as I see that, there's that old mindset from your family it just starts wrestling and wrestling. And whichever one wins is how you will leave, live. As a man, th- what you have to believe, what you believe to be true, will define your reality. You are a house made of thoughts. And David said, "Keep me from the great transgression. Don't let me think the wrong ones. Because if I believe lies, I live lies, and I don't want that to happen." Can we go deeper? I preach to the love. Is that can I find any love And Any love? Okay. All right. All right, now, First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two. I'm gonna tell you what. After these three messages, he better not take me out, and buy me no salad. <laughs> I do not want lettuce. Something must die today that I live. <laughs> Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling. Talking about Jesus. Next verse, please. A rock of offense. We're in the no offense generation. Can I tell you something about Jesus? He will step in your stuff and mess it all up. He is the rock. Well, Jesus don't offend and we're not going to let our church offend people. Jesus is the rock of offense. offense. Who is he the rock of offense to, to the disobedient? So, if you're greedy as all get up, and I get up here and start talking about the generosity and goodness of God, uh, immediately what I'm saying is offending your greed. But I'm not going to let your greed offend God's generosity. Somebody up in the balcony, just let me. Okay. He's a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were appointed. Next verse, here we go, right here. But you, he says, you're not like that. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you. Next verse, out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an entirely new nation. This is the message of the kingdom. It's the only message to cure the ills of our culture and our society. People don't realize that when they get born again, you are born into an entirely new nationality. You no longer represent your earthly stuff. There's no whiteness and blackness and brownness and yellowness and purpleness. and ira- No, you have been born and you have to be, to come into a nation, you have to be born in it to become a citizen of it. You are citizens of a whole new nation. You are the first fruits of God's kind of creature. You're not a powdered up makeup version of your old self. You, all things have passed away and all things have become you. And now you are chosen. You are royal and you are part of God's race. You are God's ethnicity and this is the answer to our problems. What's in this room right here? That's the answer to it. You belong to a whole new nation. That's why you had to be born again. That's the only way you're citizens in a nation. Okay? Good preaching right here. Who called you out of darkness into light. Who called you out of darkness into light. Remember I kind of ended on strongholds and I didn't tie that one up? (coughs) Darkness in the Bible is not the absence of a light bulb. Light has nothing to do with illuminating a room. In the Bible, light has to do with knowledge. And in the Bible, darkness has to do with ignorance. Our chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood, priesthood. You are a holy nation. The King James says a peculiar people. Let your neighbor say I'm a little weird. Come on, tell them. Say I'm a little bit weird. I'm a, little. a peculiar nation. A peculiar people. A, a holy nation. A peculiar people to show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness. In other words, your life, the way you live, should be a praise to God for the fact that God jerked you out of ignorance and put you into knowledge. And you will never live out your chosenness. You will never live out your royalty. You'll never live out your peculiarity. And you will never live out God's new nation as long as you're in darkness. So, to function that way, you had to come out of your old thinking. And God has to take you in to his marvelous light. I'm preaching real good right now. Come on. So, my people perish for lack of knowledge. That word perish don't mean the cessation of life. It means cast off, restrain, and run wild. People that do anything don't know anything. Because once you know the knowledge of God, then the boundaries of your life begin to set in. When you don't have boundaries, your water has nowhere to flow, so your life becomes a swamp. What is water that is alive and has life inside of it? Water that has banks and that has a flow. Anything without banks becomes a swamp, and Ezekiel 47 says there's no life there. My people cast off restraint, and anything goes, because they are ignorant. Now, ignorance is different than stupidity. If you call me ignorant, I'm all right with that. There's a lot of things I'm ignorant of because ignorance means you just don't know. My two-year-old teaches me how to run my iPad. <laughs> I'm in the Silicon Valley now. This is hilarious. God's got a bit in a rocking chair, just laughing at me. I can't even run an iPad. And I'm in the tech capital of the entire planet. Okay? I'm ignorant of it. If, if you told me what you do or what your company does or what you sell, you'd have to now tell me about your product. What do you do? How do I'd have to get you to define well, I'm ignorant of it. I don't know anything about it. Okay? There's sports I don't watch because I don't understand. I'm ignorant of it. Ignorance is different than stupid. If you tell me I'm stupid, we're going to have a little bit of a problem. Because stupid means you're incapable of learning. So now you're talking about my capacity. That bothers me a little bit. I'm ignorant about a lot of things. You're not going to offend me. But I'm not stupid. My people perish, and they say anything. They hang out with anybody. They go anywhere. They accept any activity. They embrace any lifestyle. Because they lack knowledge. And wherever there is darkness and ignorance, something is dying and deteriorating in your life. He has called you out of ignorance into knowledge. Okay? Now, this is the crux of the whole message. Can you go here? I'm gonna mess with you a little bit. Everybody ain't saying amen. I gotta have an amen from everybody. All right, Jude, verse six. I know Jude is not in your top 10 list. It's not, it don't even have chapters. It's just Jude, verse six. It's just a half a page in your Bible. Most people don't even know where it is. It's right before Revelation. So, I tell people at my church, go to Revelation and take a left. (laughs) And it's just one little tiny book right before Revelation. I went on this journey to define this. Out of difficulties in my own life. That's why I can preach this so passionately. I didn't read it in somebody's book. This is not classroom stuff. It was learning how to shake myself free. I'm tired of reading, He who the sun sets free is free indeed. You shall know the truth and the truth shall. I was tired of all this freedom stuff, but knowing I walked around every day with shackles. So this is my personal journey to define who is my enemy, where is he, and how much power does he have, and how do I overcome him? This verse is where God took me. This is powerful. The angels who did not keep their proper domain. Remember, there was Satan and a third of heaven that was cast out of heaven in the rebellion. Ezekiel Ezekiel 18, I think, and Isaiah 14 chronicle that. The angels, now demons, who did not keep their proper domain, I think King James says abode, but but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. He has reserved in everlasting, he's bound to a certain place, he's chained to it and he cannot get out of its perimeter. Under darkness for the judgment of the great day. First of all, Satan is not in hell. Good preaching, good singing ain't true. I come from the south, you know we who? All the demons in hell. <laughs> Y'all ain't never been to no church like that. And See, you're letting the white skin fool you today. <laughs> it preaches good. Seems good. It's not true. Revelation 19 and 20 let us know that hell is reserved for him and all those who fell with him. So hell is there and it's got his name on it. But he's not there now. So when they did not keep their proper domain, which was to be with God in heaven, they were cast out. Well, where did he cast him? Because all you got is heaven and earth. They're not in the earth and they got cast out of heaven and they're not in hell. I got your attention now. Where are they? <coughs> I, I, don't, I don't know about Minnesota so I don't want to speak out of darkness, <laughs> out of ignorance. I know in the Carolinas where I spent most of my life and across different places, especially in the Midwest, they have Indian reservations. A reserve. A property marked off with boundaries by the government of the United States for a group of people to live within that perimeter and inside that reservation the laws are different. If you don't believe me, you try to open up a casino. (laughs) That's a reserve. That's a reservation. Nobody knows in time when this rebellion in heaven happened. Most scholars, and I am not a scholar, believe it was between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 because the Bible says, in the beginning God made the heavens and the earth. and And God is the giver of everything perfect and good. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. But verse two says, and the earth was without form and void and darkness covered the face of the deep. Something happened. God created it, and then something's got to be fixed. So there was a rebellion in heaven. God made a reservation, a boundary. They have been bound to that boundary with chains. They cannot operate outside of its property line. God took all the one-third that fell from heaven and locked them with chains inside of a reservation in darkness, in ignorance. (laughs) Satan has power in what you do not know. I want you to understand how profound this is. Satan has permission by God. A reservation is governmental permission. Satan has permission by the government of God to traffic, function and operate within these boundaries. What is it? People's ignorance. The enemy has power in what you do not know. It happened this way with Peter. Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're Elijah, some say you're one of the prophets. Peter spoke up and said, no, you're not those guys. He said, you're the son of God. You're the Christ. You are God's only begotten son. You're not a man, you're from God. And Jesus stopped and said, blessed are you, Simon. Simon. For flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. You didn't learn this around the campfire. You just heard from God. My father revealed this to you. Look at the next statement. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. In other words, he said, now that God has turned on the light and you know who I am, evil cannot come against you. So where you have revelation, nothing can come against you. Where you're ignorant, you're vulnerable. So, if you get a diagnosis from the doctor and they say, we have no treatment for this, and you know nothing about healing, you're vulnerable. You stand at an altar in front of a preacher and say, I do, and you've never read, read Ephesians five and know how a couple are supposed to function, your marriage is vulnerable. You know nothing about God's economy. Your money is in trouble because God gave Satan permission to function And what we do not know. Now, what does this mean to us? This means our whole reason for how we choose a church now has to change. It's not the best stuff. It's not the most foo-foo. It's not who's gimmicky. It's not who can blow me away. If you can pull me out of darkness and take me into light, I'll meet with you in a barn. I'll put on a coat if there's no heater. I'll put on a tank top if there's no air conditioner. I'll sit on a hay bale. Just don't leave me in my darkness. We have a church now, personality driven, image driven, social media savvy and there ain't an ounce of an unction of God in the room. It's gimmick driven and they're entertaining them so what we do to get them, we have to do to keep them. And Everybody's walking around in ankle deep water and we are the first biblically illiterate generation and people, I've had conversations with pastors who can't even hardly intelligently talk about their faith. Can't tie two scriptures together. If they didn't have everybody else's material, they would have nothing to say. Never has there been a generation more entertained and building bigger churches while our culture goes to hell. So, that tells me there's not enough words circulating in here to even affect anything out there. Is this too strong or am I in the right church? Some of y'all sitting back like, I'm not mad, I'm passionate. I'm passionate. And I attack that pulpit every Sunday with, I got to pull them out. I got to pull them out. There's going to be some form of darkness today that's going to let them go. Hallelujah. I feel the spirit of God in this room even as I'm speaking right now. One more scripture. I got five minutes. Let me land this plane. One more scripture. You believe I can do it in five minutes? Say amen. Amen. You enjoying this? Say amen. Amen. You're bored? Shout amen. amen. I've been preaching 85 hours, and you're bored. Luke 11. Luke 11. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand that those who come in may see the light. It's all about seeing the light, it's about removing the darkness and seeing the light. Next verse. The lamp of the body is the eye. Ah, wish I had some time. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Be careful what you put in front of you because what you put in front of you tends to get in you. (laughs) Solomon said in Proverbs 10, I will set no evil thing before my eyes. And whatever has your focus becomes your master. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not dark. What does that even mean? This is Jesus talking. Take heed means be careful. Be watchful. Pay attention to this. Pay attention to this, guys. Make sure that the light you have is not darkness. Make sure that where you have taken your position and what you believe is not a lie. Second Corinthians 10, but be aware for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of (laughs) Satan is called the prince of dark, the prince of ignorance. But he takes his ignorance and masquerades it as truth. Make sure the light in you be not his stuff. Do you now see how this thing's coming together? These are strongholds. And the word of God is the only thing. That's why Ecclesiastes says there's a time to plant and there's a time to uproot what has been planted. And it is hard to unlearn first truth. It is hard to unlearn what grandpa taught you while y'all fishing. It's hard to unlearn that stuff. But the fact is as great a man as he may have been, is it true? Because whatever you believe begins to define your reality. I believe God's done something in this place. Can we clap for Jesus right now?
0: Hey, if this sermon bless you and your family, I want to encourage you to be a truth partner. You can do that by simply going to creativechurch.com give and partnering with us to help get this message of truth out to more people in our nation and around the world. It is our truth partners that make this a reality. Again, thank you for subscribing to our channel. Thank you for liking today's video. We'll see you back here on the channel real soon.